This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. When it comes to Weber County politics, you won't find more of an expert than my friend Oscar Mata. He's been running and advising local campaigns since before he could vote. Now he's the vice chair of the state Democratic Party and a member of the Democratic National Committee and a co-founder of One Ogden. Just start with the state party. Like, what is it that you end up doing, you know, day to day for them this close to an election? Yeah. So with the election coming up as close as it is, a lot of it is mostly just overseeing what our staff is doing. The, um, I mean, you and I have been involved in politics for a long time. So you and I may remember the days where the state party had a full functioning staff. Uh, but the reality is, is that the state party hasn't had that for the last um, almost six years. Oh, and uh, under because they just cut back the budgets and all of that. Yeah, cut back the budget. Couldn't really afford to uh, cover the costs. Uh, Jeff Merchant, the the chair right before Diane Lewis, who's the current one, uh, got us uh, back into the black. And so Diane, myself, we've been able to hire four directors, half a dozen field staff. So it really feels like the state party's coming back to being a real organization that has um, trained qualified staff running the day-to-day stuff but mostly putting out whatever fires coming up that day whether it's a senator stepping down whether it is a county party that feels like we're not supporting their candidates enough or a targeted candidate in Salt Lake that doesn't like our GOTV program or a candidate up in uh, Cash County that is worried about a mailer that was sent to the voters against them and how should they respond. Um, an executive committee member that's trying to push their own little uh, their own little project, which is great, but how does that? How do we incorporate that as a state party? I, I mean, there's there's other stuff that we're looking at. I mean, the reality is is um, you have election day and the day after election day, candidate recruitment starts all over. And so we're definitely talking about candidate recruitment in uh, certain uh, certain races with county conventions and state convention coming up. A lot of county party leaders, there's a lot of turnover in our county party leadership. So I think there's also that prep work and asking the current county party leadership, are you running again? Are you not? If you're not, do you have everything in place to hand over to the new new leaders, such as social media accounts, maybe um, some insider knowledge on, hey, this is someone we've always wanted to get to run for office. They said not right now, but in the future, keep an eye on them. Here's a list of donors, stuff like that. That's nice, because I know that I just from past experience, the day after election day, you know, you end up losing a whole lot of the infrastructure that you built during the election. Just a lot of people are let down. Leaders will resign and stuff like that. And so Tom Desirant, who's our executive director, is one of the most brilliant political minds in the state of Utah. And he understands the need for us moving forward rather than recreating the wheel every cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same with uh, with Diane Lewis, who, who leads our party. But I think I definitely bring in this outside Salt Lake County mindset of, I mean, there are some county party leaders that have been the chair of Kane County for 10 years. And if, if they feel like they don't want to continue serving or, you know, they've served their time, uh, we're losing a decade's worth. And for a lot of these small counties, that one individual 
is the county party. So right. losing them is losing the entire county party apparatus. Yeah. Okay, so say that I'm a person who's just now realizing that the election is on and that I really want to do something, you know, to, to make a difference in one of these campaigns. Like, if I give money right now to mm -hmm. a candidate, it seems like it's too late to print things. It's too late for a lot of stuff. What kind of thing is that money going to go to at this point in the race? I mean, it's never too late to donate. I will definitely say that. I mean, you can do uh, mailer turnarounds, sign turnarounds in 24 hours or less. And a lot of times, or even a purchase on digital ads, so all those annoying Facebook ads, Instagram ads, if that just means instead of hitting 50,000 people, I'm able to hit 60 or 75,000 people. And so you can never, it's never too late to donate. But I think right now what people can do is talk to your friends and family. If if someone feels passionate about a candidate, talk to your family and friends about it. I think sometimes in Utah, there's kind of this taboo of don't talk about politics, religion, money. But if you're passionate about an individual or a specific campaign issue, and you think this person is going to better your lives or the lives of your family and friends, talk about it, right? If if my good friend, John Miles, reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm passionate about this person. Well, not only do I agree with John uh, on issues, but also I know the, the type of person John is, his character, uh, you know, our own personal relationship is going to influence my uh, my decision a lot more than getting a list from a party and, and calling strangers and saying, Hey, I live in your district, but I think you should vote for this person. Yeah. Uh, I'll say if you've tapped into your family and friends and you've done all that work and you still want to do more, great contact your, uh, your, your party, democratic party or the Republican party. If you reach out to your state parties, a lot of times they'll give your contact information to, uh, the county that you live in and your county party will reach out and they have things that you can do, write postcards, send text messages, knock on doors, um, uh, make phone calls, whatever you're, you're comfortable with. But I would say definitely start with the, with the family and friends. I want to get into Evan McMullen a little bit. You have been involved in sort of this process of even getting Evan McMullen onto the ballot, right? The The situation that we were put in was Evan McMullen said he was running for uh, U.S. Senate, and he wanted all the parties to coalesce around his coalition, which was, look, I'm not running as a Democrat, not running as a Republican, United Utah Party. I'm running as Utah Evan McMullen, and I want all these county parties to join me because I want to represent you as people, not necessarily you as party members. And as you know, Democrats like Ben McAdams, Jenny Wilson, um, uh, Representative Liz Waite, Doug Owens, all got on board with that idea. Uh, Democrat Kale Weston, um, said he was running for the U.S. Senate as well, and that put the state party in an unprecedented position of whether or not to um, put up a, a nominee. And so there were a lot of discussions that I had with uh, state party officials, with uh, national people from the DNC, and it was crystal clear that we that that decision was not left to us but rather the delegates so state delegates convened i think it was april was our state convention and voted whether or not to put up a democratic uh nominee so whether or not to put kale weston up as our nominee or 
whether to join the Evan McMullen coalition. And I, I can't remember the exact percentage. I think it was about 60, 40, yeah. uh, 60% said they wanted to join the Evan McMullen coalition. And, and that's been, um, the direction the state party has gone since then. One second. Let me just ask. So it's yeah. like, it's more like you guys hear that McMullen is going to make this play and, and you need to find out what exactly is going to happen if this, um, motion gets brought up in the convention. Is that kind of the way to characterize it? Yeah, right. Because again, this is something new uh, for Utah. There are some states that have done something like that, right? Alaska has has um, elected independents in the past. But yeah, it was reaching out to different parliamentarians across the state, reaching out to the DNC parliamentarian, uh, reaching out to uh, certain individuals from uh, Schumer's office, uh, Jamie Harrison, who's the chair of the National Democratic Party, reaching out to their offices, making sure that if the delegates did decide to do that, would we be in violation of anything? Would we, uh, the state party, the Utah Democratic Party, get a monthly, basically a monthly check from the national party? Uh, and so would we be in violation of losing that monthly uh, that monthly check if we decided to do something like this? Um, and, and also if we could even put up the question to, to join the Evan McMullen coalition. There's some people that were very upset with that. And there's individuals in the party that are still upset with me and others in the state party for doing that. Mm-hmm. Their argument is, how is it that we turn a Democrat away to join an independent, a former Republicans coalition? And I get that. Uh, I, I, I get that frustration. Um, I, I kind of turn it on them and say the, the delegates voted, the delegates decided. So do I get to tell the delegates I know what's better for the Democratic Party? Uh, and I ask them, what if the results were the other way? 60% voted to have Kale Weston be our na- nominee. But I said, well, I know more than you and I'm going to strip the uh the will of the delegates right and so what what i've what i've learned in this position because i've only been in it for less than a year like 11 months now is that you're always going to have people upset with you especially when it comes to uh party purity and i think that's something that uh both parties kind of point to and say oh the democrats have a party purity issue republicans have a party purity issue i think both parties have that and that is definitely something i've had to balance because as you know, I'm not a, a purist, a, a party loyalist. One of the things I love about the democratic party is I do believe we are the big tent party. The fact that you can have uh, Jim Matheson back in the day, who was considered a very conservative Democrat and Nancy Pelosi running under the same party banner um, in the same year, I, I think goes to show that, uh, we are a big tent party. The way I look at it is I what I can do in my role in the state party is ensure that everyone feels welcomed. And whether they were Kale Weston supporters who believed that the party was selling out if we went with the Evan McMullen coalition or these new independents that attended their first Democrat state convention for the first time, I want both of them to feel welcomed and supported the best they can and yeah they're not going to agree with me but at the end of the day that i'm not gonna insert my opinion or power on the will of the delegates so you were at the debate i was yes did mike lee pay you to cheer for him uh no evan paid me to boo for mike lee (laughs) no so i get there and i'm i'm in the vip section because i'm that important uh so i'm with like you know 
former governor Gary Herbert and uh, a few state senators and some other people that dressed really nice and looked, you know, their clothes probably cost more than my car payment. But but then about two thirds of the room, though, was given to people that got tickets online. Mm hmm. And there's people there wearing Let's Go Brandon shirts, Mike Lee. Uh, someone had a hat that said hunting for Democrats. So so they're all there. And it was overwhelmingly Mike Lee people. And anyone who watched the debate heard the applause for Mike, the booze for Evan. And I talked to some friends on the debate commission and what I was told was that it was the college, UVU, that distributed the tickets. It was uh, from their site. Well, they released the tickets to be uh, to be claimed a few hours earlier than they were supposed to. Oh. And it just so happened within less than five minutes, all those tickets were taken. Oh. Which based off of the audience seemed to be by Mike Lee people. So there's a few uh, folks and uh, friends on the debate commission that I've spoken to that said that they wanted to talk about how it just so happened that these tickets were released early. They were gone within less than five minutes. And it just so happens that those tickets were overwhelmingly Mike Lee people. So, Hmm. you know, maybe a scandal happening at UVU. I'm not a graduate from UVU, so I don't care for throwing well, them under the bus. Right. And I mean, speaking of scandal, you're there in the VIP section. Is that because Evan McMullen is a closet Democrat, or is it just because the debate commission invites the parties to come? Fair. No, uh, yeah, I feel. I, I wish it was something bigger, right? But no, that really wasn't the case. We just, all the parties got uh, certain tickets and... I'm a little bit curious about the DNC. Am I right that every state has four DNC members, so there's 200 members of the DNC? So, no, actually. It is based off of oh, the electoral size. College. Not necessarily electoral college. I think it's based off of the the percentage one gets in a uh, in oh. in a state so like if the very blue states that are more populated like Florida and California they have more DNC committee members mm. than uh, say Utah Utah we have uh, Diane Lewis who's the chair myself and we have a DNC committee man and a DNC committee woman and so how many members are there uh, that I don't know. Um, I think it's a, well, I, like I know it's, it's, it's a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm just curious about like how that feels. Do you feel like you're actually in there getting to, and maybe you don't want to answer this, but like, <laughs> there's these things that people want to see change at the DNC. I'm sure there are some things that you would like to see happen at the DNC. And do you really feel like you're in there working on that stuff or does it kind of feel big and procedural? And so I've been to th- three DNC meetings now. What I've found is the real work happens the days leading up to that final vote. And that is when states are sitting down with each other and talking about what they can get done. So it it, it really is these side meetings that go on. It's very much these, hey, uh, hey, Texas Democratic Party, hey, Arizona Democratic Party, even hey, Wyoming Democratic Party, let's Let's go to lunch. Hey, do you mind uh, having having breakfast with me tomorrow? I want to pitch you this idea. So it's very interesting, and I was terrible at it. The first uh, DNC meeting I had, I was awful. I it felt almost like high school again, where 
everyone was sitting with everyone and I had no one to sit with. But now that I've kind of gotten the feel for it, it's it's a bit more, I I know what to expect. And I I go into it with kind of a list of priorities that I have and trying the best I can to to get those priorities done. Right. Yeah. Because I would imagine there's still got to be like this whole coalition thing. You've got to get on board with certain groups for certain agenda items or, you know, since we have fewer votes than maybe more democratic strongholds, then you Mm -hmm. do have to build this coalition of Western states in order to move something along. Yeah. And and it's hard too, because there's also that that personality uh, component where you know, I won't say what states, but there's, you go in and there's one state that won't work with another state because the the chairs don't like each other. Uh Or, you know, there's, there's the huge debate whether or not Iowa and New Hampshire are going to remain the first two voting states. Uh, Iowa being the first caucus state, New Hampshire being the first primary state. Uh, At the last DNC meeting that I had, Nevada made a huge pitch for why they should be the first caucus state. So you're definitely, no one's saying it out loud right now with the exception of Nevada, but there's a lot of states setting the groundwork and building some coalitions. All right, so let's shift local. Yeah. Let's talk about Ogden. I love talking about Ogden. I guess my first question is, like, what is your involvement around here now that you're probably, I mean, I assume you can't be as involved in the county party because of your state party stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the state party stuff has you involved in some of the candidates here, but, and mm-hmm. I mean, M3 is closed. And so like, just how much, how, how in touch are you with the county right now? Uh, in terms of, in terms of the county party, I'm still, uh, I, I'm so close with, uh, all the leaders. I think, uh, Carly Cassidy, Kate Miller, uh, Josh Hogan and all of them are doing remarkable work. They have a office. They have paid staff. They're working on uh, building a coalition with other counties, a financial donor uh, base that I think is just very impressive. And so, and obviously the state party and the county party are working very closely to ensure that uh, Dr. and Representative Rosemary Lesser gets reelected. So we work very closely with them. It's interesting. I was looking at the financial disclosure when uh, end of September when the disclosure came out. And typically, for those that aren't familiar with how much money is a lot of money in the district, uh, Representative Lou Shirtliff, the Democrat who won the last two times, won uh, both her last two races with a with around twenty thousand dollars. And her her opponents both lost with about fifty to sixty thousand dollars each each time. So you know, uh, high end has always been about fifty sixty thousand. But this year, both uh, Representative Rosemary Lesser and her opponent have raised over a hundred thousand yeah, dollars. I saw that. Um, and, and and spending all of it. And I I think uh, I think Representative Lesser getting out in the community, getting out knocking doors, and her involvement prior to politics really has. Put the Republicans at a disadvantage of being able to label her a, a traditional Democrat or even, you know, it's funny this time of year you get Republicans pushing this narrative of abortion and, you know, putting Democrats even going so far as calling Democrats baby killers and uh, they can't make that <laughs> argument to, uh, about Democrat Representative Lesser because she's delivered over a thousand babies uh, in Ogden. Uh-huh. And so it, it's very interesting. Um, her opponent, I've met a few times. I've 
I've heard her speak at a few debates and really it seems like her argument is that she she doesn't feel represented in her district. One might say they that a Republican would say they feel un, uh, underrepresented in Utah that has supermajority Republicans <laughs> in the House and the Senate. Right. right. Um, Our executive branch is 100 percent Republican. Yes. Uh, where So I, I think that's uh, a little bit interesting that she feels uh, not represented. I don't feel mm. representative. Maybe we could compare notes on on <laughs> yeah. uh, how that is. More yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so I, I think District Ten is a very, uh, very interesting race. Uh, we've got great school board candidates in Ogden as well. I actually think uh, the Ogden school board races are going to be the closest races Ogden sees. I think Jeremy and Stacy, uh, two individuals who I've uh, publicly supported, I think they are working their tails off. Uh, and Ogden school district is going through kind of, I think, a renaissance. You're, you're seeing a lot more bonds being passed to push for newer schools. Uh, I mean, I live right up the street from uh, from Taylor Elementary. And yeah. Two thirds of it is now demolished. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think we're going through quite a renaissance in the Ogden School District. So I, I think nonpartisan races are very, uh, very hard to predict. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about one Ogden. Yeah. So I'll start and you tell me, I think you'll have your side of this and tell me if I get anything wrong. Okay. I would say that, you know, you and me have worked together for a long time. We kind of came together in the Democratic Party and recognized each other as people interested in empowering people in the community. I think we both saw obstacles when it came to doing that through a party because people have their feelings about a political party. Yeah. So when I stepped away from the party, you know, we kept having these conversations about how we could have this influence on Ogden outside of a party. And we kind of came up with this umbrella of one Ogden that could sort of guide all of our efforts. Is that, would you say that's about right? Yeah. And, and I think too, bringing up issues in Ogden that aren't so partisan or political, uh, right. The, I, and I think that's one of the things I love about Ogden is just the culture of the city, whether it's sports, whether it's arts, whether it's uh rec, um, music, uh, you know, it's it's October Halloween season and there's a lot of individuals. There's currently uh, I, I know this month there was a group of um, the people that try to catch ghosts oh, uh, yeah. that are going through uh, that are going through Da Vinci Academy where I teach. Oh, and, and so, again, I just think Ogden has such a wide variety of culture. And I think that was also one of the things we were really trying to amplify and put a spotlight on is not just necessarily the politics of Ogden, but the culture of it. Yeah. I feel like Ogden is just full of potential. There's like all these very cool pockets of things, but I don't think that it's coalesced into an identity at all. And I'm a big believer in the idea of collective action and, you know, being stronger together than separate. And I think that the, the culture of Ogden and the identity of Ogden, it's going to be defined very soon. Like it's, there are a lot of people who see this potential and are going to come in and define it. And I think that it is the people in all those little pockets who should be defining it instead of any kind of, you know, central power. Yeah. Ogden is always spotlighted for it. It's volunteer hours, uh, the volunteerism, uh, whether it's like Brenda Jarina, who uh, just helped youth impact with their casino night fundraiser. 
uh, and all the great work that they do, whether it's Amir Jackson, David Owen, that pushes music on uh, and, and opens doors for our youth to be able to experience music in a great way. Hopefully we can build something here that can spotlight that and like you're saying really make them a pillar of what this city is yeah the first thing that we did for one ogden as far as media was we went out me and a buddy went out with a camera and we were just interviewing people on the street you know we asked them what they liked about ogden etc but one of the questions we asked was how do you know what's going on and like 80 percent of the answers we got from people was just like I just kind of go downtown and see what's happening yeah to me that is remarkable like like how we could have all of this cool stuff, but nobody to really amplify it. And it's like, I would ask people, I would say point blank, you know, do you have a website? Do you use the newspaper? Mm -hmm. I would even throw out because, you know, I try to use Facebook events. I, you know, there are certain websites I use, but most people were just like, no, nothing like that. I just, I just go to the places I know are good. I can't imagine what, what all of these transplants are doing who come here and they want to connect with this community. I have no idea how they would even start doing that. Right. There's been more times than I like to admit that I drive downtown for dinner and there's a car show happening Mm -hmm. or there's some festival or there's music coming from the amphitheater. Right. And it's like, holy shit, this is going on. I'm going to make this more of a, you know, Friday night out. Right. And I think the other side of that, that we've talked about a lot is that same phenomenon is happening, but with community organizations, people who need volunteers, even campaigns. Like there are a lot of people in this city who want to do good and don't know how to find it. And there are a lot of people who are trying to do good and don't know how to find the volunteers. And that is like a real, you know, cost to this community of not having this kind of thing. I I think it comes down to the purpose of one Ogden is to connect Ogden. Right. And and for me, that that's the whole point is we we are a city, but there's also that small town community feel for sure. And I think hopefully one Ogden can be that entity that helps connect those different small groups that we're talking about, connecting them and bringing them under one fold as again, one Ogden. All right. So. Tell me what's next for you, because I know you're up to a lot of stuff right now, but I know you're always looking a year, three years down the road at what you're going to do. So, <laughs> so what, what is, you know, what's in the fire right now? You know, it, it has been a great opportunity for me to serve as the, the Utah Democratic Party vice, vice chair. So I am planning on running for another term uh, for that. That'll be a state convention that will this next year. Yep. Next year. That'll happen in April and May. Um, So I also own a substance abuse treatment center and I am so proud of the work that my team does. And we've been able to serve thousands, thousands of individuals across Ogden. Also, I work at Da Vinci Academy. Like I said, I've got a great staff and they allow me the free time to be able to give back to my old high school. They actually say they get more stuff done when I'm out of the office and <laughs> when I'm in it. So I guess it's a win-win for all well, of us. That's what they would say. That Exactly. Exactly. I, I pay them good money to say that. <laughs> so I can go uh, back and according to my students, uh, relive my glory days uh, at Da Vinci Academy. But I am able to help kids get internships, 
go to OTAC and working in the criminal justice system, working with our youth and helping them kind of start thinking about their future and find themselves. And so with all that, I, I have uh, worked and spoken to some people and I will be making an announcement on a, on a run next year for uh, Ogden city that I'd be happy to share with you uh, in, in a few months. Just, just not yet. So what kind of got you ramped up for wow. one Ogden again? It felt like I was having all these conversations about it and all this stuff was kind of lining up, but then I just wasn't sure when to really pull the trigger. And I've had all these thoughts about, you know, including other people as hosts and like, like the intro to the podcast, I just sat and obsessed over for a while. And yeah. I, like it sounded a lot different. And I've got this other buddy who I did the first episode with, Johnny Baseball. And he's just like, we got to do this podcast. Anyway, I've just been kind of, you know, just moving forward without really figuring out everything and just yeah. trying to make decisions and move forward. You know what I mean? So it just felt like time. Yeah. It was like, all right, you've been needing something to push this forward, so start doing it. It's like this thing has been brewing for a year, and I've been talking about ideas and talking about, you know, partnerships and stuff. And so then it's like when the when the opportunity comes that somebody's finally like, okay, go, then I just kind of do it. Like I said, I'm really excited for what One Ogden and the podcast is going to bring. This is a great way for Ogdenites to connect. And I think in the world, the way it is, we need more stuff like that. All right. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate you coming. Of course. No, thank you.